going on? Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, baby. It's good to have you here this morning. Glad everybody made it out. Um, man, wasn't worship good this morning? Yeah, uh, didn't you guys uh, didn't you guys love Glenn's new song? It, it, the song you didn't know that was awesome. That was Glenn's new song. Majorly good. Um, come on, Glenn. Just yeah, it's one of my favorite things about the Vineyard is that we are a creative bunch who are not satisfied with copycatting or parroting what happens everywhere else. We'll just do it ourselves. We've got a do-it-yourself spirit here at the Vineyard. We're DIY all the way. All right. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 3, I'm going to continue in on a series that we started a couple weeks ago, uh, just on the love of God. And um, I want to continue with a few thoughts this morning. While you guys are turning there, I uh, also want to thank the church because um, one of our values here at the Vineyard is radical generosity, and it's not just a banner that we hang over in the corner. It's an actual living uh, part of what this community is, and over the past month, we received uh, enough extra just from you guys, not, not in the regular offering, but just in the little basket out there with, you know, how Jesse had the little thing for the Peruvian kids. We covered all 75 kids plus some. I mean, like, you know, that was just, it's really cool. And the amazing thing about that is we're going to totally change the neighborhood. Like, Jesse and Adrian, they're going to go down, and they're going to totally change the neighborhood in one week, and we did it with just the extra, you know? Like, the, it, it's really great. The church didn't take a hit financially. No one took a hit. We just did our thing. The next thing you know, we're going to change an entire neighborhood in, in one week, and we're going to send 75 kids to school more prepared than they've probably ever been. Because here's the cool thing. In Peru... Uh, like, education isn't free. There's, no, there's not really a government-funded sort of deal. So when you, go to, when you go to school in Peru, mom and dad pay for it. And so a lot of these families, especially in these poorer districts of these uh, little suburbs around Lima, they, don't, they barely have the money to send their kids to school. So they somehow squeak their kids through the door, but they don't have, what ends up happening is they don't have the money to have basic, basic supplies. They don't have crayons. They don't have rulers they don't have calculators they don't have paper you know so they show up to school but they don't have anything to do what you need so what we ended up doing is we ended up just covering all of their supplies so we're going to one little neighborhood this little neighborhood called Ladaris. all the kids in Ladaris are going to go to school with everything they need it's really great i love that all right everybody in luke chapter three yeah let's just read that because this is going to be our main text this morning Starting with verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a body, bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Yeah, let's just, uh, let's just, if it's okay, can we just pray and ask, ask God to give us some illumination this morning? 
Yeah, Father, would you come into the room and would you, uh, would you illuminate your word to us this morning? God, would you cause it to be uh, living and active this morning? Uh, and even right now, I just take authority over every lofty thought that would raise itself up against the knowledge of Jesus, every distraction, every competing emotion, and every competing thought. I just take authority over those right now. And Father, I ask that you would, uh, that you would come and you would show yourself superior this morning. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're, uh, we're in, the, in the middle of a series here at the Vineyard on the love of God. And uh, really what we're coming at here is, we've been talking about for a couple weeks, and I want to continue it this morning, that the great need in the church is to know the love of the Father. It's the great need of the church, to know the love of the Father, but to know it beyond a flat intellectual sort of knowledge. What I mean by flat intellectual knowledge is I'm talking about the kind of knowledge that will get you by on a multiple choice test, but will utterly fail you in rich, complex, textured life. You understand what I'm saying? There's a kind of knowledge, like, like everybody in here knows, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Even if you couldn't point to it, you know that God is love. And if you were to take a multiple choice test, you could get the answer right. But when it comes to the complexities of life, if we haven't encountered the love of the Father, if we don't feel it in our heart, if our emotions haven't been touched by the love of God, then we, we get left lacking. There's a, there's a lack that happens. And so what I really wanted to say for the last three weeks is, church, it's time for us to become unsatisfied with a flat intellectual knowledge of the love of God. We need to feel it in our emotions. One of the reasons we need to feel it in our emotions that we talked about last week is because God's love is so big. God's love is so big, it actually can't, it can't be contained in the intellect alone. It, it's actually bigger than what the mind can contain. So if we have a concept of the love of God that is, that is fitting neatly and tightly into our intellect alone, we have something, but it's probably not the love of God. Because it's so big, it's so rich, it's so dynamic, it will eventually spill out of the intellect and it will touch the human heart. do want to make one note here about knowledge before we get into uh, the thrust of what I want to say this morning. Um, one thing here. Uh, we live in a culture which really exalts knowledge. Uh, we're a tremendously educated people. Uh, this church is crazy educated. Almost every person in here has an advanced degree. Most of you have two advanced degrees. And I am probably the least educated of the bunch. Yeah, when you stand up to preach at the vineyard, you better bring your A game because you're, you're preaching to PhDs. You know what I'm saying? So we live in a culture that is tremendously educated. We live in a culture that exalts knowledge. Not only that, we live in a culture where uh, books have become the new business cards. They mean nothing. Everybody has a book. You know what I'm saying? Because we, we value knowledge. We value, we value education. And um, not only that, but we all carry phones in our pockets and you can get any answer to any question in less than 10 seconds. You know, my wife ridicules me all the time. I'm like, Mom, what, what is that? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, man, I really want to. She's like, idiot, just take your phone out and find it, you know? I don't, you don't say idiot. I just, you would never say that. I'm, I went to preaching. The reason I bring it up is because we live in this moment where knowledge has become such a central value 
And what is really needed, what the thing the world is really, really looking for is this. The world is looking for a knowledge that is below the surface, a knowledge that is beyond what Google can tell you on your phone, a knowledge that is beyond an advanced degree, but a knowledge that comes from, from, the, uh, from the experience of living it out and working it out in your actual real life. What the world is looking for, the, look, the world is looking for a, a knowledge that is beyond what you can find in a cookbook. If I can put it this way, the world is looking for a sink full of dirty dishes. Does that make sense? The world is looking for mechanics who have a bit of grease beneath their fingernails and not just people who have read the manual. The world is looking for something a bit more textured. And because of that, one of the things that we need in the church is we need, we need to feel the affections of God. We need a knowledge of the love of God that is beyond intellect, but that is felt in the heart. It's an applied knowledge. And so really what I want to get to this morning is I have a, I have a word that I feel like is um, really centered at our church. And um, this is a word for for world changes. Uh, one of my favorite things about coming to the vineyard and getting to talk to you guys just about every week is, is that I get to talk to world changes. Um, nobody in here is called to insignificant things. Um, everybody in here is called to, to something significant in Jesus. Not only that, but most of you actually know that. And by the way, that's rare. That's really rare. Like most churches... Let me put it this way. Every church is filled with people who are world changers. It's just that most of them don't know it. And it's one of the really refreshing things to be with you guys is that I'm talking to a group of world changers. And oddly enough, most of you actually know it. And there's a synergy that happens. So this is a word for world changers this morning. This is a word for people who are are committing their lives to, to partnering with Jesus to see heaven come to earth and see everything change. This is a word for people who have been touched at the deep places, who have been transformed on the inside, and then who take that transformation and then pass it out. See, here's the deal. You can't actually fulfill Jesus' call to transform culture unless you've been transformed. You You can only transform to the degree that you've been transformed. And the reason I bring it up, the reason I want to talk about the love of God is this. It's because the only place that true transformation comes is through encounter with the love of the Father. It's the only place. Transformation doesn't come from any other place. This planet, the stars, the moon, people were created and it was an expression of His love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It's the essence of who He is. Every single manifestation of His personality runs through His love. So God's wisdom is a manifestation of His love. God's power is a manifestation of His love. Even God's correction and His judgments are manifestations of His love. There is no part of who God is that isn't an expression of His love. And so creation itself was formed in love, and creation has been transformed and is being transformed as an expression of God's love. The Bible says very plainly, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's that transformation is an expression of His love. You, you can't be transformed on the inside unless you have an encounter, and a living encounter with the love of the Father. And the places where you have a living encounter with the love of the Father, those are the places that are animated with Holy Spirit power to see transformation come in the real world. That's the reason this topic is so big.
See, a lot of us, a lot of us in the church uh, have an anemic, an anemic ability to ex- exert kingdom authority and kingdom power because we've had an anemic encounter with the Father. We need a deeper encounter with the Father. In fact, well, this week while I was just praying and sort of meditating what I wanted to share with you guys, uh, I felt like the, the Lord was giving us a, kind of a new name, and it's that he has, a, he has a reconstruction company. A lot of people have construction companies. God has a reconstruction company, and, uh, it, and he wants to call everybody into his reconstruction company. He actually told me this. He said, the work's already been paid for. We just need to go do it. Like, he's already wrote the check. He, wrote, he signed it in his son's blood, and the reconstruction's been paid for. He just needs some remodelers who will come out and go with him. That's what we're called to. We're called to reformation. We're called to change. We're called to bring heaven to earth. <clears throat> and Luke 3 is one of the most important passages in all the Scripture about understanding the love of the Father. Uh, I want to set this up before we get into the four things I want to share with you this morning. Um, Luke 3 here. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And John the Baptist is out in the desert. And he's been baptizing everybody. And he's been preaching. And everybody from all over has been going out to John. They've been getting baptized. And then Jesus goes and he gets baptized. It's the strangest thing. And, and it's the, really the strangest thing because if you, if you remember Luke 3, this is the part where John the Baptist is saying, Hey, you know... Everybody needs to come and get repent. Everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to come get baptized. The, the axe is at the root. I mean, he's, he's preaching like this word of judgment. He's preaching this word of repentance. Come and get cleansed. Come get in the water. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, the guy who doesn't need to get cleansed, the guy who doesn't need to get in the water, he's in the water. Anybody ever read that and thought, that is just so bizarre. All these sinners are getting in the water. And then here we have Jesus, perfect, spotless son, the perfect lamb of God. He gets in the water. Why does he get in the water? Well, he gets in the water because he's saying in, in the loudest possible way that I am going to identify with sinful humanity. And he gets in the water. And I love this because Jesus doesn't just get in the water at the beginning. He continues and he stays, if we could say it this way, he stays in the water his whole life all the way up to identifying with sinful humanity when he lays his life down on the cross. What does this mean? What this means is, is that Jesus will never take the shortcut. He will never simply play his God card. This is really great. We have a Jesus who never asks us to do anything that he isn't already willing to do himself. Like when Jesus says, love your enemies, he doesn't say, you guys should love your enemies and I'll go on hating people. No, he says, love your enemies and because I already love my enemies. It's part of the love of God. So Jesus gets in the water and he's, and he's saying, I just, I, I'm with these people. And because he will take no shortcuts, what he's doing is he is modeling for us what real life should look like. He's saying, this is how you live real life. Why is that important? It's important for today's context because, number one, because at the beginning and at the foundation of all ministry is the Father's love. So here's what we have. Jesus gets in the water, even though he doesn't necessarily have to. He identifies with sinful people and he gets in the water. And then while he's in the water, heaven opens up. And God begins to shout his affections toward his son. I want to read it to you in in my translation. I have a new Bible. It's really good. And I recommend that everybody get it. It's N.T. Wright's version. So the heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove upon him. 
And there came a voice from heaven. You are my son, my dear son. I'm delighted with you. Why is that important? It's important because this is the foundation and the very beginning of all ministry. And by the way, everybody in here is called to great things. No one in here is called to insignificant things. Everybody in here is a part of Jesus' recreation company. Everybody in here has a significant assignment, a significant task. And the beginning of picking up your task with God is to hear the Father open up heaven and shout His affections over you. Jesus is modeling for us what real life is like. He's modeling for us how you live life with God. And real life with God begins by knowing, not just in the head, but in the heart, the affections of God. To feel them. How many of you, what would you feel like if heaven opened up and God shouted his affections toward you? We talked a little bit about this last week. There are three times in the New Testament that God... The Father speaks audibly out of heaven. Three times. At Jesus' baptism, at His transfiguration, and then in John 12, right before Jesus is going to be crucified. Two of the three times when God opens up heaven and speaks out, He he shouts His affections toward His Son. That that wrecks me. 66% of the time, God is shouting His affections toward His sons. What would you do if if heaven opened up and God just began to declare His approval over your life? That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Um, I haven't experienced that in that dramatic way, per se, but I've experienced something very close. On the day that I was married, um, some of you guys were there. On the day that I was married, um, it was a room full, about like this, it was about 300 people. And I had just turned 21, and my wife was 19, we were very young. And I stood in front of the church, and on that day, my, my own natural earthly father, in front of 300 people, spoke his affections over me. Like it was the most soul-shattering moment of my entire life. Like, my dad said things to me on that day that he has never said to me and has never said to me again. It was unbelievable. It totally, like, wrecked me. I mean, it totally wrecked me. Not only that, but it wrecked a lot of the people who were in the room. Like, it changed me, but it didn't just change me. It changed people who were in the room. There is something about hearing your father speak, speak words of affections and approval over you. And what I want to say this morning is, number one, that's the beginning place and that's the foundation for all ministry. It's, it's the, the felt affections of the Father. If, if we begin anywhere else, if we begin in ministry anyplace else, we'll begin to work for what we already have. If we, if we begin to live life apart from feeling the affections of Father... Not just here, but knowing it on the inside, feeling it in our emotions. If we begin anyplace else, we will simply spend our life working for what we already have. And if you're working for what you already have, you're wasting your life. If you're working for what you already have, you're wasting your life. Not only that, but it changes the way you see other people. And this is what happens. 
If you begin to work for what you already have, especially when it comes from my father's approval, you will begin to see other people as commodities and you will begin to extract approval from them. And because of that, you will never be able to multiply God's love by giving away. You'll, you'll, you'll end up spending your whole life extracting what you already have from other people. And in doing so, the kingdom of heaven will never be multiplied. It's never meant to be extracted. It's never meant to be subtracted. It's meant to be received and then multiplied by giving away. See, in Matthew 14, when Jesus takes just a few fish and a few pieces of bread and feeds and upwards of 20,000 people, and has lots of it left over, he's showing us that the kingdom of heaven is about multiplication. And it's always, multiplication always comes by giving away. It never comes from extracting. If you begin to live your life working for what you already have, you'll, you'll want to take it from someone else. And you'll waste your life and nothing will get multiplied. That's the reason. Number one, it's the beginning and the foundation of all ministry. Uh, Number two, feeling the love of the Father on the inside, feeling it in our heart and upon our our emotions. Number two, uh, tells us that our Father's love isn't based upon performance. You realize at this point, Jesus had done nothing. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't saved anyone. He hasn't kicked out any demons. He hasn't even preached a sermon. He hasn't done anything. And the very first thing he does, he gets in the water. And at that moment, heaven gets opened up and God shouts out, that's my son, my dear son. I'm delighted with you. Before he does anything. What does that tell us? It tells us that God's love for his sons and for his daughters isn't based upon performance at all. It's not based upon, it's not based upon whether you're good or whether you're bad. So God shouts out, son, I love you. You delight me. And Jesus is like, what? I haven't even done anything. And the father's like, yeah, no, it's just really, really like you. Just really, really like you. I know how that feels. I know exactly how that feels. Any parent in here knows exactly how that feels. I remember the day that I held my son River for the first time. Oh, my word. He hadn't done anything. The only thing he had done is peed on me. He came out, I held him, he peed right on me. He just simply was himself and he had completely captured my heart. (laughs) I remember the day that my son Seth was born and we thought he was going to be a girl. Like we had two ultrasounds that said girl. We had a pink room, we had pink clothes. We didn't have any boy names. All we had was girl names. We were going to name him, we were going to name him Nova. I was waiting on baby Nova. Nova Rain was coming and out comes a boy and I hold him up. It was the biggest, best surprise of my entire life. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that was a really chauvinistic thing to say. I don't mean that at all. I just mean like when you think it's going to be one thing and then you find out it's something else, that's an unbelievable surprise. And I, I, we just cried. I mean, it was just, oh, Seth hadn't done a thing. He couldn't even do a thing couldn't do one single thing and my heart was oh son i love you you delight me you know and then we had magnolia and i'm like i finally have a girl you know and she hadn't done one single thing and she just she delights me you know what and my kids are 10 8 and 5 and they continue to delight me even even when they're rotten like completely (laughs) rotten beneath the rotten is a layer of delight that the rotten can never touch 
See, until you feel that from God, until you feel that your performance is just, it's off, it's off the ledger. It's not factored in whatsoever. Until you feel the love of God touch you, even in your weakest moment. See, our Father's love isn't based upon our abilities or performance. He isn't holding anything back from anyone. Ever. And this is a really important note. The reason He isn't holding anything back from anyone ever with regard to His love, because it's really important because of this, because if He did hold something back with regard to His love from anyone at any time based upon performance, the implied revelation there is, is that there is a limit to the love of God. So I better not waste it on your bad moments. See, God is limitless in every direction, especially with regard to His love. And He never holds anything back from anyone. His love is always pursuing. His love is always available. It is always, it's the only way He deals with us. We need to feel it on the inside. I'd like to tell you guys something this morning. See, God loves everybody in this room right now just the way you are. Like, if you never change, like, if you never, ever change, like, if you never get better, he, 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 He's not going to change the way He feels about you. Consequently, if you change a whole lot, it's not going to make Him love you anymore. It's all available to you right now. Here's the good news, though. Because some of you are like freaking out. You're like, well, that just doesn't sound right to me at all. It's because you heard a false gospel. Some people in here are like, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, you don't have to change. I'm telling you right now, you don't have to change. You can stay a screwed up mess and the love of God will pursue you. You can die an angry person and God will not love you any less. Two subpoints. Number one, He loves you so much that He makes change available. And then number two, if I can remember it. I don't know. I guess that's all we need to talk about. I can't even remember what number two is. Things are coming into my brain and leaving them very rapidly this morning. But His love supersedes our performance. Number three, for all the charismatic people in here. Number three, open heavens, God's kingdom coming to earth, baptism of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit. All of this is found in this passage. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as He was praying, heaven was opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You're my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is a picture of what open heavens are about. This is a picture of what baptism of the Spirit is about. This is a picture about what the move of the Spirit is about when He's around God's people. And I'd like to sum it up very simply. Open heavens, God's kingdom coming to earth, 
The baptism of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit is very simple. It is just God's sons and daughters becoming aware of His love for them. That's it. Like we've made it into all these weird things. It's none of the weird things. It's just real simple. It's God's sons and daughters becoming aware of His affections for them. So what this means, and I get, I get very excited about this. What this means is, is that we can actually affect open heavens or not open heavens. We can actually bring the kingdom or not bring the kingdom. We can actually start a move of the Spirit or not start a move of the Spirit. It's very cooperative. How does that happen? You want to have an open heaven? Just start loving someone. When you begin to move in love, you just open the heavens. You want to, you want to, you want to see a move of the Spirit? Just start moving in love. That's a move of the Spirit. You want to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth? Start doing what love would do. Like a lot of times, we, we make it more confusing than it has to be. Uh, you guys remember when we ha- wore those bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, that's still in some ways too confusing because I'm not entirely sure sometimes what would Jesus would do. But you can ask yourself this, what would love do? And you'll always get the right answer. And when you ask yourself what would love do, if you begin to cooperate with what love would do, you just opened the heavens, you just moved in the Spirit, and you brought the kingdom to earth. That's simple, right? Yeah. That's simple. You could actually probably do that tomorrow at work. I remember, I remember the first time that I really got radically baptized in the Spirit. And by that, I mean just absolutely steamrolled. Anybody here, anybody in here ever been steamrolled? Let me ask you this. Anybody ever, anybody here ever been to the beach and got on a boogie board or a surfboard and caught a wave that was a little bigger than you were anticipating and got like slammed at the bottom and then rolled in the sand and you came out with abrasions? Now imagine the love of God doing that to you. Anybody, like, you ever, anybody in here ever come out like, like a little bit like this? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember uh, my father-in-law took me up to sort of a charismatic renewal meeting. I, I wasn't even entirely sure that I wanted to go to a charismatic renewal meeting at this point in my life. And this rogue wave that's all I can describe. This, this rogue wave of the, the Father's affection came across the room, really didn't hit anyone but me. I ended up in the floor, sort of embarrassing myself. At least that's what it felt like in the moment. But there's something about when that rogue wave hits you. Like stuff comes out of you that you didn't know you had in you. Changes you at the deepest level. I remember that rogue wave hit me at just the right time. Um, Because I can remember, I've told people this, it doesn't really square with sort of the, the traditional southern way of getting saved or understanding God. So, warning, it may offend some people. I remember being, I can't remember not knowing God, okay? Just want to say that. I can't remember not knowing God. I hardly remember a thing about my childhood. But from my earliest moments of being alive and awake and somewhat self-aware, I remember knowing God, feeling His presence. And not only that, but I can remember being three 
and four years old and know that I was called to ministry and called to preach. I can't tell you how I knew that. I just knew it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. I don't ever really remember getting saved. I know this is going to rock a lot of you guys. And some of you are like, oh, I don't know about that, brother. Well, Jesus said getting saved was getting born again. And how many of you remember getting born? Nobody. I just got born. I was born at some point in the spirit. And I don't know when, but I, my earliest memories are I knew God. And from the, some of the earliest moment, and I'm not invalidating other people's moments when they come up and grab the preacher's hand. You understand that, right? I'm just saying God's big enough. He can do it all sorts of ways. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying I got born. Is that even, that's terrible grammar, isn't it? I got born. Man, that's Kentucky. Anyway. I told you I was the most uneducated person here. So I remember being three or four and knowing that I was called to the ministry and knowing that I was supposed to preach. Consequently, I grew up in church. And my mom and dad, you know, they did a good job. They kept me in church and whatever. But my church experience really sort of wrecked this... Really was horrible... Not horrible, like there was a lot of great things, but like imagine being, imagine growing up knowing from the earliest moments basically of your memories in your life, knowing that you're called in the ministry and you're called to preach and then seeing like models of church and models of what it means to be a pastor and feeling, oh my God, I cannot do this. Does that make sense to anyone? Going, I don't, I am, no, like God, yes, but no, no, like no, you know, like if I have to put on the monkey suit and pretend that I like people and talk about crap that doesn't mean anything at the back door. No, like, no. You've had that conversation with the pastor, right? Oh, hey, brother, how are you doing? And I'm thinking, you don't care how I'm doing. You don't care at all. Right? Exactly. Everybody here has had that moment. I'm going, no. So for 15 years, I grew up with the no. But at the same time, the other part of my heart is the yes. I mean, mean, it was the reason I was so like messed up for a good number of years. Back to my story. So then my father-in-law takes me to this sort of charismatic renewal meeting that I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to go to. And a rogue wave of the love of God came across the room and it hit me. And the number one thing that it knocked off of me was the no. And it brought me back into the yes. So you, you eventually have to hear it from your father. You eventually have to hear it from your father. Open heavens, kingdoms come to the earth, the move of the spirit. It's in the revelation, the felt revelation of the love of God. After that rogue wave hit me, I got up and I told the Lord, and it wasn't a joke. I told the Lord, even if you make me wear the monkey suit and talk to everybody about the weather, I will do it. <laughs> like, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But then the Lord is so good. And then in His kindness, He showed me some different ways to do it. We don't have to talk about the weather. We don't have to talk about meaningless garbage. I don't have to wear the monkey suit unless I want to. 
Yeah. I bought my first suit last year. It's a smashing suit. Now I pray for weddings so I can put it on. What can I say? One of these days, somebody's going to buy me one of those Italian suits, you know? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And when I get the Italian suit, you guys will not be able to get it out off of me. So number one, uh, the felt love of God is the beginning and the foundation of all ministry. Number two, our Father's love isn't based upon performance. Number three, the felt love of God is an open heaven. It's His kingdom coming to earth. It's the move of the Spirit. And then number four, the love of God always finds itself in the context of family. So here's what we have in Luke chapter 3. We have the Father speaking to the Son. And I want to tell you, that language is not accidental. It's the Father speaking to the Son. See, the New Testament is baptized in this kind of language. Paul calls the church a household. He calls Timothy his son. The New Testament calls Jesus our older brother, and God is our Father. None of this is an accident. The love of God, expressed in a myriad of ways, always finds itself within the context. It's held within the context of family. God's kind of love gives birth to family. And the reason this is important is very simple. It's because you can leave a community, but you can't leave a family. It's one of the things we're moving beyond here in the vineyard. We've always had really good community. I think it's always been basically the strength of our church right right behind our love for the presence of God in worship. But we're moving beyond something like community and we're moving into family the context for the love of god is always family you can run like when you get tired of a community you can just leave a community like if you get if you get if you don't want to pay the the dues at a club you can just leave the club you can't ever leave a family oh you can run away you can run away i'm not saying that but you can't run away from dna you take it everywhere you go And God is doing something, and the love of God always finds itself within the context of family. And this is really important for us because it's in families, and it's in this context of family, that the Father speaks to sons and daughters. And it's the Father speaking to sons and daughters that is the genesis moment for the roots of His DNA being set into our lives and for the foundations of identity being formed. See, father, father forms identity. See, every person in here is a son or a daughter. And we need, to hear the, we need to hear the Father speak these words over us, and we need to feel His affection for us over our, over our heart and over our emotions. Because if we don't hear His word over us, if we don't grab our identity from the family, if we don't feel His love for us, How many of you know there are other voices out there willing to speak to us? See, in a vacuum of not feeling the love of God, in a vacuum of not hearing His word of approval, in a vacuum of not being set into His family with His DNA, the world 
in the world there are other voices who are willing to speak. If you have your Bibles open, you can just look on the other side of the page there in Luke chapter 4. So Jesus is baptized. Father speaks His love and affection over Jesus. And what's the very next thing that happens? Jesus is in the desert with the devil, right? And how does, how does the devil come to Jesus? I think this is so interesting. The devil's opening line to Jesus is this. It's in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. The devil's opening line is this. If you are God's son. If you are God's son. What's the first thing that the devil wants to call into question with Jesus? It's his sonship. It's his membership in the family. See, here's what I'm saying. If you, if you don't feel the love of God, if you don't hear His words of approval over your life, if you live in a vacuum of not knowing the love of God beyond an intellectual level, but feeling it in your emotions, there are other voices who are willing to speak. And without that foundation, without that anchor, you could get washed away. His love and His Word, His approval, it sets us into a family. And beyond that, being set into a family is essential to our survival. Uh, how many of you remember that parable in Luke chapter 15? It's sort of a famous one. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that one? When does the prodigal son get into trouble? When he leaves the father's house. Where is the good kind of life? In the father's house. If you leave the Father's house, you leave the good kind of life. That, that parable in particular is so rich. The, the, the only safe place is in the Father's house. And fortunately for that son, he eventually comes to his senses while he's out feeding the pigs and he remembers his Father's word over his life. His Father, who loved him, and even while his son is out feeding pigs, his father still loves him. It was, it was absolutely not based upon performance whatsoever. And in fact, when the son comes to his senses because the word had been an anchor in his life and he had gotten tired of hearing the other voices, he turns around and he heads home. And who is waiting for him from a distance? It's the father. Come on. It's like the best moment almost in the whole New Testament. You know, father is always looking. Why am I so emotional this morning? This is whacked. Part of the reason I'm so emotional this morning is because I'm a prophetic person and most of my life is a parable, not just for me, but for you guys. And if I'm feeling this way, it's really just the heart of the Father being poured out for you guys this morning. Um, you remember that story I was telling you about uh, when my father spoke his affections over me at my wedding? See, that was like a parabolic moment in my life. Uh, it symbolized me and my wife coming together, but it also was a moment before I began my, began my real ministry and it was as though the Father was beginning to speak. It was this, par- this stuff happens to me all the time. The love of the Father is available for people here this morning. I feel like we need to do four things this morning, if that's okay. 
If there's a ministry team, come on up. And there is. Thank you. Why don't we stand up this morning? Uh, I feel like the Father wants to share His love with us in four ways. Uh, Number one, if you're here with us this morning and you have never come into the Father's house, what do I mean by if you've never come into the Father's house? Here's what I mean by that. If you've never trusted Jesus and you have never felt the Father call you son or daughter, then you need to come up this morning and you need to be welcomed into His house. Like if you, if you can't say with absolute assurance, the Father in heaven calls me son or He calls me daughter, then after we pray this morning, you need to, you need to run. You don't need to walk. If, if you need to knock someone over, <laughs> go ahead and do that. We, we offer pre-forgiveness here. Besides, we believe in healing. So, <laughs> but if you've never if you've never heard the Father speak that son word or that daughter word over you, if you can't say that you're a part of the family for sure, then you need to come up. Number two, if you've never known the love of God beyond an intellectual level, then you need to come up this morning. If God's love has just been an abstract idea, if it's merely like black letters on a white page that you occasionally run across in your morning devotional, but it's never touched your heart, then you need to come up this morning and we'd like to pray for you. Number three, if you've been working for what you already have, and I don't really have to say anything else, but when I just say, if you've been working for what you already have and you feel the sting in your heart, if you've been jumping higher and higher, then you need to come up this morning. We want to pray for you. And then number four, if you're just getting beat up by the devil, if you're getting beat up by the devil, and if he's calling into question the DNA that's been placed inside of you by the Spirit, then you need to come up this morning. Amen.